Hello, Tim Aslin. Good morning to you. Are you a ro- robot alien? Robot <laughs> alien? Yes. <laughs> oh, I forgot to put that in my notes. <laughs> the robot alien, of course. Um, robot. Hey, what's going on? Uh, you know, just, um, waking up after a weird sleep. Was Maybe it, uh, too weird. Did, you, did you have abduction dreams like our movie? Mm. God, I don't even remember what my dreams were. I'd have to like really think hard cause it's been, uh, at least an hour and a half since I've been awake. So by then it's usually they're just gone. So what can you remember about your fraught evening? Just that I didn't get enough sleep. <laughs> like, it's never enough. I work I work basically on like six hours, even though I plan for eight every night. It yeah. never happens. Maybe I'm being, a, you know, maybe I'm losing those two hours on a spaceship. Could be. Maybe we got to put you in hypnotic regression. Therapy. I'll do it. I don't think I'm uh, susceptible to hypnosis. Well, you know, some you, people maybe, are are easily yeah. suggested into that state. I, I'm not <laughs> one of them. You just got to find a good one, maybe. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Great. Well, I was excited to hear about all how you're doing, as always. I still got to say hello to our wonderful. Listeners, thanks for being here. Where is here? Where am I welcoming you to? I'm welcoming you to episode 135 of Dismembering Horror, the podcast show where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and myself, Tim, MUFON member Aslan. Actually, I'm not, <laughs> but I would love to be. <laughs> cool. Well, Every week, we dismember a horror film for you. We talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy about a horror film. Not that we what we think is is more or less important than you, but it's it's just the way to have a fun discussion about digesting, aka dismembering a horror film, because we are horror fans and friends. And uh, we're happy to have you here. Whether we can hear you or not, we can hear you. Yep. We hear you. We hear you. Great. And <laughs> as uh, we're referencing some some abduction references at the beginning before the intro, for this week, we dismembered, we watched, we're going to dismember, from 1989 Communion, directed by Philippe Mora and written by Whitley Strieber, who I apologize. I think I just had Liev Schreiber in my head. So last week when <laughs> we pulled this film, I kept saying Whitley Schreiber, but it's <laughs> Whitley Strieber. Well, you know, so. I don't think we should worry too much about the details since Whitley has a bit of a penchant for uh, changing his story around. 
So, ooh, do you have some good things of note yeah. for us in uh, that regard? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, buddy. Great. Well, we like to start with the trailer to set the tone of our episode. So, uh, should we just go ahead and jump right into that? Yeah. Great. Yeah. Why not? All right. <laughs> then from 1989, as I just said, here is the trailer for Communion. I can't get out of this! It wasn't a dream. There's a group that meets. Group? People who've seen the same sort of things you have. Which group of aliens abducted you? Bob, we are not victims. We are participants. I don't recall them being human. What a trailer, Tim. <laughs> wow, is right. <laughs> oh, man, talk about movies. I uh, wish I could have watched in the same room as you. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, Tim, well. per our... Okay, okay, this is uh, this is maybe one to put in the summary. We, we're going to do our rating, then we're going to do our summary, as we always do. But... The spirit of our rating and our summary, again, is not to be like, these are definitive things, but to be like, who are these two people you're about to listen to? Uh, Where are these two people at with this film? (laughs) Kind of thing. And where are they at as people? Where are they at in our, uh, our, our current digestion of the film? So to start all that, Tim, thought since this is our first, like, and you've been wanting to do this, there aren't a lot out there. This is our first, like, alien, straight-up alien abduction movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so much in the spirit of how we've talked about ghosts before and ghost films, I thought it'd be fun to check in where, where are we each at with this <laughs> phenomena, if you want to call it that. Okay. And to start, I'll say it's sort of like, exactly like ghosts, and any other fun, you know, paranormal things, I resent and reject the assumption that you either have to believe or not believe it or them. Fair. So that's that's where, and that's where I am. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that's exactly fair. Um, but and then with uh with this stuff specifically, I can't deny that it is a phenomena or i've 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 written a treatment like on i've written in my own alien abduction horror movie treatment and so i spent like a full not just a rabbit hole dive but like a deep (laughs) dive of like a year researching like stacks of these books reading stacks and noting and just that's i don't know i just you know when writing stuff sometimes uses a fun excuse to to do that so 
So I fully believe people believe this and that it is enough overlapping like details of people's experiences that uh, you could call it a phenomena. I've not, I'm not saying I come down any which way or another about what exactly that is. And I think that's just like a good thing in general, but, um, but whatever it's, it's all cool. It's fun. It's fascinating. Agreed. I mean, my like, I don't know if you what you would call it history with with this subject matter is sort of I mean I remember being pretty young and being something I must have watched something that like got the idea in my head. It was, you know, honestly it was probably Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Because I think I watched... My dad loves that movie. So I probably watched it at a fairly young age. Um, And so the whole concept of aliens and abduction and stuff like that was definitely like... I was exposed to that early. And then I remember when I was in fourth grade, I lived in Palo Alto... And San Jose has a uh, Air Force uh, aeronautics. I think it's an aeronautics like base, which is right next to Palo Alto. So uh, (laughs) just a conjunction of a few coincidental things. I watched an episode of Unsolved Mysteries that was about a guy getting abducted and that it really scared me, like super, super scared me. It like, uh, I remember going to bed and, and this, and this was the case for, for months. My bed was against the wall under a window and there was like a curtain on the window that was sort of short. It didn't, it didn't like cover the bottom of the window entirely. And because my bed was under, like against the wall, I could actually just look up and see the sky and because we were in you know a fairly populated area there's a lot of air traffic and i would just sit there freaked out about this idea of something coming down from like whatever lights i was seeing in the sky which were i'm sure just planes um well i'm not sure but i assume were just planes uh but I would get super fixated on this idea of like that literal pathway of them, like me seeing them and them like they had access to me because I was under this window and it, I would just spiral on it. I get super freaked out. And so I think from that point on, I just have been inherently like keyed up when I see abduction stuff. And I don't like, it doesn't I like I like it. I, I I get excited about abduction movies and like, you know, I've been to Roswell and I've written a couple things about alien stuff, you know, just fun ideas about it. So I'm super fascinated with the concept of it. I've never really had any personal experiences that, you know, like suggest anything more than that. It's a cool idea. Uh, cool. Well, be in. Relative terms, cool. Uh, interesting, I guess, would be a better word. Um, 
I have only once in my life seen a UFO. And I mean a literal, like, uh, I could not I- identify what was flying over me object. Um, when I was in New Mexico driving into Albuquerque pretty late at night, I was, I saw a, you know, we're just on the main whatever that is, uh, 40 or something like that. So a big highway. And <clears throat> off in the distance, so say to my two o'clock, I could see a light that was fairly low on her, the horizon <clears throat> and didn't think much of it because I just, you know, it's like whatever. It's we're, It's not something super unusual. I just figured it was a helicopter or something. But as in a very short period of time, that light gained distance to like closeness to me. And and I remember that the moon was out. So like presumably I would have been able to see the shadow of the vehicle that the light was coming from, like the silhouette of it because of where the, the light was. And um, as it got close to me, it got so close. I mean, I would say it was probably only man, I don't know, 50 yards above me, if that. Um, Maybe even like 30 yards above me. And it was just the light. There was no perceivable body to whatever the light was coming from. There wasn't like a big, it wasn't like a helicopter. I would have seen it. It was that close to me. And it like came toward in like directly in my direction from two o'clock and right as it got sort of to the highway it took a like hard i guess it would be a left for me it it went left across my my view across the highway and then just kept carrying on in that direction to my what would that be my like nine o'clock and i watched you know i'm still driving but i watched it go for like i don't know five more minutes so it was super peculiar. I assume actually it was probably the the most logical explanation is that it was a drone, that it was like a military drone and that we were, we were, or we, I was very close to, I think there's like an air force base or something near there. So that's my assumption. All it was super low flying drone, but it was so freaky. And of course it then, you know, it gets all of the, the things, uh, the ideas that freak me out about abduction and UFOs and like the, the question of that and the what ifs and whatever going. And it was exciting. But outside of that, I've, I've had no real like anything that I could say concretely was like super paranormal or abnormal. <clears throat> yeah. So as far as the alien that, stuff go, because I, I well, always I don't right. mean to out you, but you have your ghost sighting. That you tell us about. That's right. I do now, yeah. So the one ghost experience. <laughs> but yeah, well, so, um, you know, who knows? Yeah, so, it, yeah, just kind of my my equivalent of that, yeah, that I didn't mention. No, I've had the same, like, s- movies were never, like, scary to me, really, as a kid. You Like, intense horror movies, like Alien or whatever, except for alien abduction horror movies (laughs) things like that of course like fire in the sky yeah when et first makes his appearance yeah um the whole idea of this like like even you know um 
uh, close encounters. Yep. Like just seeing them was just is just like terrifying, terrifying kind of thing. And it's still like more than anything will get me to this day. I just don't think there's really any good movies that deal with it out there, but through like moments maybe in movies or just the idea of it or like, you know, even just first turning on this movie kind of thing, you know, you get that feel or watching documentaries. Like I mm-hmm. just watched this documentary on this guy, Bob Lazar. Who oh yeah. Talks about, about all Bob his Lazar. times. Yeah. Great. <laughs> um, and though I haven't had any like real firsthand things, I can I had one weird, like dream camping experience thing. Hmm. Where like there's no one else with us kind of thing. But I've I've had people I'm very close to basically tell stories on their part that like in all the sort of, you know, books I've read of different accounts, they sound exactly like the phenomena. Whether it's someone I'm close to talking about seeing a UFO that's disguised as a cloud, which is a thing, which you say, well, then why isn't it just a cloud? Because then it... <laughs> It starts right. moving like a UFO, not a cloud, mm-hmm. and it's shaped like like one. Um, <laughs> I've had, yeah, another another friend just tell this whole experience about like a like a, a camping trip where they were moving from one spot to another, and were like the way that they were talking about it, it felt like it was like it, there was definitely something weird about it, and they've just sort of been telling themselves there's nothing weird about it mm. if that makes sense yeah like i'm like wait like they were someone was tailgating you with intensely bright lights for over 15 minutes and you didn't hear it or stop or anything and like <laughs> like what you know and then and then like they felt <laughs> someone there at the campsite kind of thing and were like terrified i'm like why were you so scared and they're like we just knew we had to get like stuff like that mm. and then one friend i spent a lot of time with i was close to who knew i was working on this stuff and it like really shook me where like he was like seriously like opening up to me about like like this exact like the experience in this movie of saying like how the pattern goes is there's always you know something you know since they've they've experienced this from a kid and like down to like the whole experience where when they were telling me uh i fully believed they believed it kind of thing mm-hmm. you know but it you know it's their reality kind of thing i didn't would I don't know every part of me was like this he's not lying here but really scary of like saying you remember as a kid seeing like a non-person person like standing at the foot of his bed but it was like in his memory it like was not you know like in this movie no it was not a dream like yeah. <laughs> and then like even then to now you know still having issues with wanting the light on or off like still like it was that traumatic yeah. kind of thing and then since then, all these weird things that have, of like, uh, again, just matching the exact experience of everyone when you read about it, of like, just some of the details, like when you, you like get sick and then have an abduction experience and then feel better after it or, and vice versa, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so again, in my circle, like I've talked to people, yeah, where it just, it instills it in you as like, you you just question it all, you know. It's it's cool. Well, to give you a sense of where 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 I truly land, I have I have three theories about human beings in regard to this stuff. Number one is, um, 
you know, historically speaking, you've probably gone down this rabbit hole with your research. Historically speaking, every culture has a myth about the stranger that shows up in the middle of the night. And they're very – there's, you know – nuance to the versions of those stories but at, at its essence it's all the same story and the i think the 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 going theory on it is really connecting that to sleep paralysis and sleep disorders and the commonality with that stuff that we now scientifically sort of understand at least from the perspective of of sleep study so that's one. And the reason, quote unquote, alien stories have become predominant is because of the cultural sort of awareness and like literature. And, you know, it's just in the collective consciousness of humans, right? Before it was aliens, it was witches. Or before it was witches, it was demons. And before it was demons, it was the succubus. You know what I mean? It's like every culture kind of has their version of that and the theory is that really all that's ever been going on is is sleep um paralysis or or disorders associated with sleep because they're all kind of intertwined so that's my that's one theory the second theory i have is that it's all trauma based and that the commonality and like sadly we know that you know ab abuse and sexual abuse is extremely prevalent it just is a thing that it, that a lot of people ha experience and or are the victims of. And our brains are funny, right? Like they they're really good at sort of protecting us as we develop, especially trauma at a super young age. And that could be I think that you could say that that, that could involve all sorts of different types of trauma. But like I think sexual trauma in particular is one of the more um, uh, aggressively affecting traumas to experience as a child that really has, it really, really, you know, has a strong effect on your development and the subsequent, you know, whatever um, uh, reaction to it. And so I think that there's – theoretically, it, it makes sense to me that maybe what's happening is somebody's experienced a trauma at a very young age and your brain has essentially compartmentalized and created a story to make it less real uh, in a weird backwards way. It makes it more real. The story becomes more real, but the reality becomes less real because you're protecting yourself from that. Um. Who knows? I'm not an expert on it, but that's a theory. My third one is that there is simply just a kind of uh, cultural collective consciousness thing. And some people are more susceptible to going down that rabbit hole of believing in these stories. And you kind of you kind of get a confirmation bias right it's like you hear the thing it's even in this movie you hear the thing of like oh it was an owl like I, I saw this big owl outside my window and you hear that across the board with like from all sorts of different sources and it like it's where is that coming from right and and it makes me think is it a chicken or an egg thing right is do we think aliens exist because aliens showed up at some point and 
sort of tapped the dominoes and we've just been riding that wave? Or are we riding the wave of the first person to conceptualize this myth and idea and everybody's kind of responding to that? Like, like it's a feedback loop. You know, one person says, oh, it was an owl. And now that becomes the thing that people create because they at some point were exposed to that version of the myth. So I don't know. I mean, I guess the fourth one would be that aliens actually exist and have been abducting people for the last hundred years or hundred thousand years or whatever the fuck. I'm not sure I'm I'm ready to buy that, but maybe. Right. I, I mean, those are all my assumptions kind of going into when I was doing these deep dives exactly. Um, but, but then at a certain point, you start to go, like, you know, you say collective unconsciousness, but I think you go even deeper as to what the potentiality of that could mean. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like, um, oh God, what am I trying to say? <laughs> Sorry, I just had it. Well, well, okay, for, maybe it'll come back to me. But the other thing I want to say was like, okay, yeah, so you assume this, you assume that. But then at a certain point, too, you feel like you have to... You start running into enough reports, cases, firsthand accounts, whatever, that just simply it being sleep paralysis can't explain the physical evidence. Whether it's mm-hmm. like these actual, um, you know, weird little things found, you right. know, in surgery later, um, someone who ties themselves up in a bed and they're alone, <laughs> right. Right. and then wake up and it's all they're untied somehow and in a different part of wherever, um, and then there's uh, or, or like in the famous Benny Barney Barney Hill case, there was some like like orange iron looking you know liquid left on one of their underwear and that got analyzed like years years later and it was just something you know not like not totally not as earth but definitely just like a weird organic compound uh-huh. thing you know, didn't know. Yeah, yeah. so all this all this stuff like that and then there's also the thought of um well they get into a bit in this movie well what about kids you know and they're you thinking they're less biased or susceptible or maybe haven't been as much exposed. So that I may think that's where I was going to with the collective unconsciousness thing where it's like not necessarily maybe on the level of exposure of kind of vagueness, but like actually on a deeper level from, you know, we're all in tune with mm-hmm. a sort of deeper awareness or knowing even from birth, let's say, that somehow, you know, or it connects us. Yeah, I mean, um, I I think like anything, there's hard evidence and there's anecdotal evidence. If I guess, I don't know if you call anecdote evidence. It's anecdote. <laughs> and then there's, and those two, and those two first things are, are, I think, a relatively small sample size. And then you have everything else that can that you potentially could explain as not legit or falling in outside of the the category of like fitting into what you're talking about the things that are are a little too concrete 
to deny. And so, you know, sifting through all of that is not easy. And I think people like, I have a, I have a weird disdain for Whitley Strieber because I think he's a charlatan. And I think that there are a lot of charlatans in this realm. And they are preying on people with science fiction. And they're kind of, they've almost become a part of the perpetuation of the myths in a, I think, in often a, a somewhat harmful way. And maybe that was not their intention. Maybe it was all their intention. Maybe they really believe what they're saying. I don't know. Whatever the case is, he he smells like a charlatan to me based on the stuff I've read. He's like contradictory. He's he's squishy about a lot of things. And I just – there's something about it that makes me not buy him. Um, and I could be totally wrong. I, I'm willing to a cop to that, that this is a, a shitty point of view that I have. But my instinct points at he's a charlatan. And so then that muddies the water, right? Like people, if if those people are charlatans, they're just, <laughs> they're just screwing with any ability to scientifically like get to a conclusion that, that is based in actual data and fact right um it's a th- and that's the thing with you know when you say there's anecdotal evidence what but like what gets me at a certain point you read like enough like interviews watch enough interviews you see there's not a shortage of it like that's it's tons very true. yeah and at a certain point too you just like you know your your gut thing your intuition thing whether it goes one way or the other but um, you either believe them or you don't believe them. And maybe I'm just too trusting here, but like, oh, just the way this person is talking about it, I believe them when they say they are not interested in this and they were even hesitant to mm-hmm. talk about it, you know, kind of thing. Well, Versus I think that, like wanting any kind of intention. Attention. That's yeah. what's so interesting about this type of stuff, right? And the same applies to, to ghost stuff or anything paranormal. Hey, Holy fuck. Uh, the sneeze aliens don't want me to have this opinion. Um, belief, like you kind of said, you believe that they believe what they're saying. That doesn't make it true. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it just doesn't. It's not enough. And so as much as as we – like, humans are so unreliable sources. They just are. Like, they're right. unreliable witnesses especially in their own stories. <laughs> like they're really unreliable. And so I think it's fa- like what's more fascinating to me really than the question of whether or not aliens exist is what dr- is driving the brains of of humans to have this sort of overlap and like can you point at a uh, causality um like within the human condition and still not have it confirmed that aliens are actually abducting people. And I think the answer is maybe. Honestly, based what on I, just 
scientific, like uh, not scientific, but like just based on the psychology of human beings. Like I, I think that stuff is super fascinating. I think what's honestly more fascinating since I, I can just open to believing whatever is people's like, why, why, why are people so like almost like violently rejecting of the ideas or of people's reports? Like why is the default so hard on it's not real? You know, I, that's, that I that's honestly that I what uh, the psychology that I find more interesting. Cause like, do you mean, you mean the, you mean like literally the non, the, the people who have not had an experience are the, uh, so in, in the tradition. Yeah, the skeptics in the traditional sense of the word. Why aren't they skeptic towards themselves or what, you know, like, (laughs) that's, I'm more interested in that because they're the ones who are the majority of everyone who seem more, like, certain when everyone who's, you know, experiencer or an open to believer or a believer, they're kind of more of the, like, look, I don't know. I'm just saying what I saw and what Mm -hmm. I experienced, you know? So this sort of like, this sort of steadfast, uh, passionate rejection of like not even wanting to hear any of these things or saying it's just this and then not even wanting to hear detail. I think that is infinitely more fascinating in a way. right? But, but, or not but, also... (laughs) That does not infer that the opposite is true, right? Like that or – yeah, that doesn't that doesn't mean that the opposite is true. Just because a lot of people reject the idea doesn't then somehow mean that the idea is confirmed. And I think a lot of people operate in that realm where it's like – they're so opposed to the the steadfast uh, rejection of a thing that that then means that the other thing has more validity, and that's not true either. I'm not saying that it's right. That it I think doesn't what, what, have validity. I'm just saying that we we human beings are very susceptible to the squishiness of belief. That's and I, I here's here's a good of like what I'm, I'm trying to say why I think it's so, why I do think it's so interesting people's rejection or whatever or like outright refusal to be open to it is because you take like because then it poses the question well what would it take to at least like the character arc in this story get them to at least be open minded about it and you you imagine just sort of like this okay you know the, this this trail of evidence let's say someone close to them tells them about it oh no they're crazy someone you know you, you know you, they they see a ufo oh it was it was just this i was seeing the, i was drunk they see an alien in front of them oh and it's just, you know and then like you keep going and going let's say down that line till it's like completely as far as their experience goes you know undeniable let's say or or would be as far as an individual's human experience being like as far as i can tell this is real in front of me right now um and then that's what people who believe it that's all they're saying is like yeah that's 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 exactly it like i'm i'm for my subjective experience this is real that's all we are ever saying and just kind of this 
I don't know. It's it's when when there's someone is so stubborn in a line, it just fascinates me with is like, well, what do they even have a sort of breaking point or would a sort of paradigm shift of the reality be so, you know, shocking or whatever to them that it's how, you know, I don't know, it's just too much or. Well, <clears throat> I think that we know the answer is often no. Because, like, you could take a, a real-life <laughs> example that that we've just experienced, right? Like, there are proponents of lies in the real world that even when faced with the objective truth about that lie, they can't accept that it's a lie – or that the lie is bullshit. So uh, let me give you an example. The big lie that the election was a fraud, right? That that somehow Trump won the election, even though eight million or whatever the number was, pe- more people seemed to have voted for Biden, right? And this lie that it was stolen from Trump. That that there are a lot of people because it, if they were to accept that, it would break down a lot of. I guess almost identity for them or even like their standing in their community, which is a very strong force in humans, right? <clears throat> the need to not be ostracized from their community. And so we know humans often are not good at accepting objective reality in front of them. Like they'll hold on to the thing and they'll justify their way around it. We see, you see a ton of it in Daniel's documentary about uh, flat Earth, right? Just the guy gets a gyrosphere, the most precise gyrosphere on the planet, and says, "This is how we're going to disprove round earthers, right? Because this yeah. gyrosphere is going to say otherwise than what the science, what the round Earth science people are saying is true." And then they run the experiment and it and it's accurate. It says it basically proves that the earth is a fucking sphere. And the guy flat out looks in camera and goes, nah, something's something's wrong here. Right. (laughs) And it's like, yo, man, like you you can admit once you find evidence that's contrary to your thesis, it's okay. To admit I, it. I would I really want to see I forget if they mention it in the movie or just in the promoting of the movie but I really want to see the show where they like a, a show fully funds their expedition to prove that the earth <laughs> right. is flat or whatever awesome. and just to see it every step of the way see them like go to the Antarctic walls or whatever it is <laughs> or like get flown up into space and like and they say, oh, this is, these are TV screens in front of me. I'm not really in space. Right. You know, like, I, I, I'd love to see that kind of thing. Well, to wrap this up, I'll say, interesting thought I had. And I think why all this is just, we could talk about it forever. And why also yeah. it is ripe for horror is I just sort of have to call myself out when I say, you know, you're talking about, I think that's so true. It's just because it's tied to someone's identity that I reject the notion of UFOs, of aliens, abductions, whatever. But then where I have to catch myself is like, wow, am I 
so passionate about not coming down on either and being so open-minded that that in itself is some sort of <laughs> identity thing going right, on on right, my end. Yeah. And there's this, the the snake eating its tail of it all. That, yeah, man, uh, we're all that, just that living to. inside our own reality, like individual mm-hmm. reality. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, who knows, man? It's a simulation or something. Well, let's go camping again and do that UFO summoning thing. Oh, God, thing. you reminded me of my experience when we went camping where where a, a dream bear ate my head. And I had told oh, – yeah. I mean, that was full force sleep paralysis terror. I couldn't move. I was convinced that a bear was, like, nuzzling my head through the tent. Like, I heard the bear. I felt the bear. I was super terrified. It took, like – I don't know, two, three minutes for me to actually be able to just physically move. It was so scary. But I remember you know. that night as the t- the night I got to nuzzle Tim through the tent. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> How dare you? It was crazy. Uh, but, you know, I think I can, I'm confident in my explanation of it. Great. There wasn't a bear there. Oh. I can tell you that much. Maybe it was an alien. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was just a bear wandering in uh, Echo Park or Silver I know. Lake yeah. I saw. What? Yeah, yesterday. Uh, How weird great. is that? Our, well, Tim, uh, now let's move on to our, <laughs> our rating. So all that okay. being said, right. for communion from 1989, would you tell yourself to avoid it, stream it, rent it, or buy it? I, I think I... F- unfortunately fall just into a stream it's really close to a rent for me but like i fall just into a stream because i think the it doesn't pay off for me that's my problem with this movie i really like the setup i like this there's this eeriness within the filmmaking that i think is super effective and then the third act just i think almost feels like a a joke there's like a part of me that feels like at a certain point the filmmakers and maybe even christopher walken as well decided that they thought this was silly and stupid and 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 started to take the piss out of it and i'm not i don't i hope that's not the case but man it just sort of mm, it fell apart for me so i'm a stream i have seen this though even though I hadn't put it on Letterboxd. I've seen it when I was like probably way too young. I mean, that's, there's a way to get to my review. Like if I had seen this when I was young, like terrifying, like come on, right? (laughs) The the, Um, the first half I think is really scary. Yeah, because of what does work is that sort of, okay, I'll say right out actually what doesn't work. work? (laughs) My my in review, sorry. Just, you know, my summary, why I gave it a rent. Okay. Is uh, how you said that mood that is in it all is just great. But I just got to say up front, the effects are outright terrible. They're, they're egregiously bad. Yeah. Like, like the models, the, the aliens themselves, they're yeah. like, I wanted to say the little blue guys were like Muppets or Jim Henson, but no, that'd be a detriment to the Jim Henson stuff. <laughs> they should have gotten Jim Henson to do the yeah. effects on this. You know, they just were... Yeah, it's so bad. So it's this weird, like, where I have to really... S- s- yet at the same time, like, I had fun watching that. I did too. You know? Like, as stu- as bad as it looked. But it was just so 
it was just like such a different movie from this legitimately moody uh the the family drama and his own drama that was going on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i'll get into why you know i still was able to enjoy the third act in a way it sounds like you didn't but hey all's to say uh in short is really just fun seeing all ev- all the abduction experience stuff that i've read so much about just like put in a movie yeah, you know in yeah. the the accurate way let's say of all those different stages they go through of the tests and coming to, to be open, all that. So rent it. Great. Summary. Summary. Whitley. <laughs> Whitley Strieber. Um, Successful the author. Of, of the book. Wrote a movie about himself. Wrote a book about himself and then wrote a movie about the book that he wrote about himself. Well, before he was not writing about himself at all, he was writing uh, hit films, or sorry, hit books that were That's then right. adapted into films. That's right. Okay, so <clears throat> such as Wolfen and The Hunger, and then mm-hmm. what would go mm-hmm. on to become The Day After Tomorrow. Uh, so he's got a little writer's block. Oh no, sorry, he doesn't have writer's block at the beginning. He's a writer. He's in New York. He's got a wife and a kid. Everybody's living the dream. And uh, he's a real eccentric. He's he is a real eccentric. He's got his little <laughs> fu- his funny little hat and his funny little glasses and his funny little mannerisms. And he films himself, <laughs> which is or know. has a live feed of himself while he's this writing. Is, this is why I think that the filmmakers were like this this fucking guy. Let's just fucking make fun of him. Like it feels a little like borderline. Anyway, that's editorializing. So they go to the woods with uh, some friends. They have a cabin in there. He's a Whitley's a little obsessed with um, uh, security. He's got like floodlights and security systems and all this stuff. And in the middle of the night, at his cabin, yeah. they live yeah. in the New York apartment and a cabin. That's right, somewhere in the Catskills or something. Um, there is an evening where lights descend on the cabin Whitley wakes up Whitley definitely sees an alien <laughs> the alien touches his his noggin uh his kid almost gets abducted their friends freak out we don't know if they saw aliens or they just were super freaked by the whole the the light they said outside. they just saw the intense lights like it was day. yeah, yeah. but they are shook up and the wife apparently didn't experience any of this um or at least the experience was kept from her which we learn might be the case later and then we from there we kind of descend with the unraveling of whitley and his family mostly there's not a whole lot there's a long period where there's not really much else interaction with the alien but the effect of the initial experience is really like winding him up And then they do have another experience where everybody seems to kind of like, I mean, everybody, him and his his wife and and son, they all are experiencing this thing and it kind of escalates. Um, And that leads him to kind of have a bit of a break. He almost he almost shoots his wife with a shotgun. He's he's seen the aliens um but then they're not there so it's it's a very you know 
is it real? Is it a dream? Am I losing my mind? What's happening? They go to a psychiatrist who specializes in this stuff, does some hypnosis to varying effect. But it's ultimately, I think we get this confirmation or at least a feeling of confirmation in the end that they believe what's happened to them actually happened to them. And then the movie kind of just ends. I mean, I'm leaving out the anal probe thing, but like, I don't think that's super relevant to the actual story. I would say story. the movie just ends. I think we have quite <laughs> the, 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 the ending. A very, um, very Ken Russell ending, actually, I felt like. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the the ecstasy of an abduction, very much as, as done by Ken Russell, it would feel like. Yeah. Uh, which is, we'll get to that. Um, but that's but kind no, of the story, basically right? in the end in the end Whitley he goes from complete like denial to whatever this is I'm learning to live with it right. and accept it right for and to stop thinking in those terms of if I'm crazy or not or or at least feeling like he's okay with not having an answer well and and yeah and the through line the the way we mark that is that he goes from having all these great ideas and and getting in the groove of writing in the first act he has the experience with which totally paralyzes his ability to write in the second act and then through the third act he comes to terms with it enough and writes about it and that's how he gets back to writing is that he writes about his experience. That's the answer. Which then becomes the book communion, which then becomes the movie we are watching. Yeah. <laughs> do, you see, do you see why I feel like this is so, it's just the ego snake eating its tail? Like to me, it, it, where limited I'm coming to, from with that? Limited to what we just talked about? No, because he was already a prolific writer, super interested in fiction, who actually went, through all this um who says i don't know through all of this well yeah <laughs> who actually says it who actually i think i we can talk I about would him see, later i i would see myself doing something <laughs> similar if i was in his shoes as far sure, as like sure, sure. yeah yeah no i agree being, I, I think it's if a, it, you go through something that let's just assume you go through something this life-changing right. You're a prolific fiction writer. I feel like I'd want to write about it, <laughs> you know. Right. And and like, and that fair. is it, it. And also, I guess in his defense, it did kill his career. Like he was set up to be quote unquote the next Stephen King, but then did get ostracized okay. because of his interest in all this. Okay. Fair enough. Um, let's talk more about great. the movie. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about what worked. You ready for that? Yeah, I'm gonna assume yes. You're drinking. All right, here we go. What worked? What worked? Something else just to, to put at the head of all this, because it stars Christopher Walken and just affects my viewing of it. I am I'm kind of like obsessed with Natalie Wood and her whole case. Mm-hmm. And um you know, and again, with not knowing what to believe, I just feel like Christopher Walken isn't saying something. He's on the yeah. record of not wanting to go on the record. Uh, he isn't. As, he isn't saying that. Um, Natalie Wood's husband or boyfriend, Robert Wagner. Was, yeah, Robert Wagner. Robert, yeah, probably killed her. That's what he's not saying. 
and that as like much fun as you know Christopher Walken was always growing up and like the weapon of choice music video I'm like oh my god it's the greatest thing sure. ever and he is a great <laughs> actor you know and he's just funny whatever but that has now you know as I've gotten older listened to the Natalie Wood podcast just thought about her more it's very you know I don't know but I yeah, am someone tough. who I, I am someone who like once the movie starts he's a good enough actor I am able just to see it for what it is but anyway I just didn't want to not mention that so yeah. having said all that <laughs> uh crazy christopher walken like how he does you know bring his eccentricity to this character like right off the bat like i loved and it's like one of those weird things where it's sort of like is this line of like wait this is is this like realistic how he's acting but then he pushes it so far it then does go into realism as yeah. like yeah this is feels like a real life just fun kooky guy um so yeah, that's all I have to say about him. And then, I mean, his crazy then kind of, you know, levels out, but then comes fully back at the end uh, with a crazy scene. So yeah, crazy Christopher Walken certainly worked for me in this film. Yeah, I agree. He's so odd. And just as a as a human, it's hard for me not to just kind of be like, yeah, man. Whatever, whatever works for you, bro. I'm, I'm. I'll go. I'll get on that ride. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever you are, yeah. Um, and then another kind of overarching thing, just like the era this was made. Even though this was '89, I still want to put it under that like '70s, '80s realism kind of mm-hmm. that it had. Uh, even if other aspects didn't have that of the filmmaking, we'll get to just as far as kind of their performances and like the way it looked and kind of this like not totally slick feel to it. Yes. Yeah, it just is, it's unnerving you from the get-go of just like, ooh, uh, like as again, as I said, if I was a kid watching this, I'd just be terrified from the suspense oh my alone. I was, I was like transported back to that era. Yeah. I was like, there's something about, intentional or not, but there's something about the, the, the <laughs> a bunch of sort of, uh, details in the in the filmmaking that i think are they're not meant to be unsettling they just happen to be unsettling like there's still shots where you can see the frame rate of the camera and there's like some camera shake in there that's like i think a product of the transfer from film into the final product (laughs) where it's like it's jittering in a weird way and it's it i don't know i immediately was like transported back to the 80s and like sitting in my attic watching these movies on like USA or or TNT or something like that and getting super freaked out and i don't yeah. know like even the the opening shot of flying in to the new york skyline I had it turned up loud. That booming thunder, like, <laughs> yeah. it scared me. Like, <laughs> and there's like a weird moment in it. Like, you're moving in in um. They've like sped the film up, and you don't realize it because it's just a aerial shot. And then they slow it down to normal, and you go, Ugh, like, what the hell? And there's like that booming, and the titles come up, and everything. And I was like, immediately, like, set set the tone and primed, and was like, oh right this thing exists i remember this stuff so i really liked it and then like (laughs) 
I didn't even have it loud. And there is a lightning or a thunder crack pretty early on. And I it got it got me so good. Like my <laughs> insides froze. Yeah. I was like, <gasps> so man, there's something about what they're doing that and I think maybe it's also just the subject matter for me, but it, it the first 30 minutes, they get right to it. I'm like, I'm in so deep. We when we see the alien for the first time, it's just like right right away. Let's get it out. Like have him peek around that wardrobe. And I was like, oh. even though the alien looks like shit, I still was into it. So I don't know. <laughs> I really like the tone of the first half. I would say of the movie a lot. Like it got me juiced up. <laughs> Yeah, just the, those fun touches, too, of, like, um, the security system mm-hmm. going haywire. Just this sort of anything that wasn't the, you know, just suggesting this greater uh, paranormal thing going on. It was all super effective. <laughs> but in, in just, like, the filmmaking, too, we kind of touched on, but, like, the overlapping dialogue style. I, lo- I just love that chaos. Yeah, that kind of Spielbergian 70s, 80s. Uh, character yeah. interaction the little kid who's super close in age to me and just like mm. oh, i feel like i had a, a onesie like that and just <laughs> the excitement of like when he's rushing into you know at their, his room in the cabin and is just all excited um, that moment by itself him him going into the i you know this is to me there's something to be studied and and like explored about the effectiveness of a few moments in the in the opening maybe 20 minutes of this movie. One in particular is the kid running into his room and stopping and we watch him kind of freeze and look around the room like with this vague it's like is he is it like excitement, wonder, fear, like what's going on? But he looks around the room and is a little like hesitant and then we cut to objects in the room and they're all just moving a little bit but they're things that can move right like one is the the mobile is that how you say it mobile hanging from the ceiling and it's just kind of moving and there's like two other things and they're all just kind of vaguely moving like like a wind had been in there but this this showing objects with the implication that something had caused them to move and not showing the something really really is affecting to me and in and it's it's timed out really well and i'm not sure the like why it specifically works but it's really unsettling to me and i think yeah it gives it enough time yeah yeah when you couple that yeah, I think they're just leaving enough air in those shots for us to kind of go, uh, what are we getting at? And then you couple that with the exteriors that are essentially POV shots of the unseen thing that's coming toward the house. But they do this they do this lateral movement stuff where it's like coming out from behind the tree laterally and then – then they push in on the house and that there's something eerie and otherworldly and unsettling and suspenseful 
about all that camera work and the time, like you said, the 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 air in the in the shots that is is longer, I think, than we're kind of used to, at least right now in in modern cinema. That really just sets us up. Like I was immediately in the mood of like eeriness and oh no and what am I what what are we gonna see what's gonna happen and I and then it's a spider and then it might be not a spider remember like that's what I love of there's they're constantly posing an answer and then a, a the possibility of that not being all there is to the story yeah yeah, yeah. which is so smart so good job you said the setup is extremely good well to to stay kind of in chronological order here next thing that you could count as setup we mentioned was yeah that that first experience where they have their their uh, their friends who are a couple over to stay at the cabin with them they're fully just like oh we saw this thing they they're he, the guy's like scandinavian or european or something so sure yeah he's you know from that culture it is interesting i will say just as another overall thing when you talk to let's say about I don't I I feel like it's a very United Statesian thing that sort of outright denial of of right. you know anything paranormal. We're like I feel like you know talking to, and again, I don't mean to stereotype here but I am I'm just very generalizing <laughs> here culturally what I've gathered in knowing people um yeah people Europeans seem more just like They'll be more afraid of anything or kind of, you know, paranormal or more open to it. Like how the guy in this movie just says, yeah, kobolds, whatever. You know, he's sort of like, this is all lore we've had, you know, stuff that's similar to this. And same with like a lot of Asian cultures, Korean cultures I've talked to. They're like, oh, I don't even want to hear about ghost stuff, you know, or anything <laughs> like that. Like, yeah. So I don't know, just a, just a little more observation as far as the, that outright, like, I you know, tied to your identity. Um Mm-hmm. The denialism or whatever seems very uh, uniquely American to me in my observations in a way. So anyway, so just having the presence of a guy who is European there, it, that at that next morning scene, like I really yeah. loved because you have him and um, the, the friends, the guy and his wife who, girlfriend, whatever, and they're like, they're shook. And it's just to see the two different couples, the way they're dealing with it. We're like Christopher Walken and his wife, what's her name, as Anne, Whitley and Anne. They seem so just like, everything's good, everything's fine. Oh, what kind of pancakes you want? Oh, let's play this game with a kid. That just in the moment when you're with them through this evening, you're like, that is what's striking me as wrong right now. Like, I, right. I'm relating to more where the other guys are coming from. It could all just be a dream, but it's like, at least talk it out. Like, if you're that scared, like, you don't, you just don't just brush it under the rug. Like, at least talk about it. So, it's so that, smart because yeah. we're setting them, the main characters, up as the deniers. Mm-hmm. Right. And we go, we just watched it with you. How are you denying it? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Don't deny it. And then we go, oh, no, they're they're in for it because we're going to watch them unravel their denial and they're going to we're going to see that moment of, oh, shit. And we we it's such a smart setup because it's it's primed us for their ultimate like acceptance or or yeah, acceptance of reality and the shock of that 
because of their their like full fledged denial of what they experienced. Right, and I it's think, what's fun is that uh, what I was gonna say the the moment the the really important moment that helps with that denial setup is how Whitley reacts when he's seen the things in the first place. You know, you would think the way to go would be to have him be terrified and like scream or freak out or like run away or whatever, right? Like that's sort of, I think, the common trope of of how somebody deals with seeing something scary. But what the way they do it in this is they have him just kind of like in this trance. And that is much scarier because he allows it all to happen. He's he's either willingly transfixed or supernaturally transfixed. And that is scary shit. Yeah. Because then the denial becomes even more. Is it under is 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 it within his control, the denial? Or has something been done to him that is pushing him to deny things? And so it becomes this this creepy, like, wait a minute. Like, we can't really trust them, but maybe they're at the mercy of something else, which makes them even more the victims of this supernatural thing. That's scary shit. I think that that way of setting all of this up really gets us on board with the subsequent sort of maybe drawn out stuff of of how it's affecting them but but you're okay with it i think because of this setup or at yeah least that, and it's what's so fun too i mean maybe i already kind of said it but that that morning scene how that denialism on their part it it comes down to something as small as wanting to just push off and deny the mere fact that their friends are scared at all. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's not, they associate this. It's like, well, why it's, it's like on some deep level, they're already making the association with it being aliens or something inexplainable. Otherwise, why would they care so much about like, just kind of, Oh, you guys are being ridiculous. Like why wouldn't they just listen to their friends and trust their instincts? Only they, they really, even when they do get them to drive them home, uh, Whitley and Anne are still kind of like, Oh, they're the ones being ridiculous here. You know? Yeah. I kept waiting for them to be like, Oh, I'm sorry. You, you you're actually really upset. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's talk about this. Cause I'm, I, I didn't mean to be dismissive of you. Like what, what are you upset about? Like what is going on? Right. And, and they that, never that, even have that conversation. So just that the denialism extends to that well, extent. Um, yeah. it's like, it makes you think they're on some deeper level, you know, <laughs> really denying something. Um, yeah, we, let's see. I mean, as I just kind of said up front, what well, I guess another overall thing that worked for me was just having read all this abduction of stuff and and getting just to see it play out on all sorts of levels. On I should say, not the not seeing the experience itself levels, but just on the character levels of whether it's like what we just talked about, uh, the kid talking about you know what he's going through that you know that always is an interesting element to it, but then all the way to seeing his whole process of like 
going through the hospital test of is it um, something epileptic hallucinations, whatever they call it, going through the hypnosis, which was really cool. The the, that scene, how like you know they uh, what he's experiencing is kind of you know there's light coming through the window in Mm -hmm. the hypnosis room, all that stuff. Just his performance is great through all that. Uh, The relationship issues it of course brings up. What happens when? some a, a couple's paradigm is or you know one person within a couple paradigm is shifting what does the other one do with that how does right. the denialism play off each other or you know uh, impeding acceptance play off each other the support group you know going there was great and seeing all that play out um but then of course just his art while say like an aspect of why the last third worked for me as i was really enjoying his character arc of just outright refusal and i thought it was posed in a really interesting way too by his psychiatrist of you know when she says well we aren't trying to you're acting as if we're 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 having answers for you but she says something like no it's just all about trying to not since we can't come up with the answers we're just trying to come up with the right questions at this point that's Mm -hmm. all it is and he goes says something like, yeah, well, that's exactly where I'm trying to get to now. I'm not even there yet, <laughs> you know? So I see that as his his arc is getting to that point. So to see him just sort of do the, do the character arc thing and like say, I'm going to the cabin by myself. I'm going to confront this head on with a new open-mindedness that I haven't before. Like that, it was just fun seeing him step into that and that play out. Yeah, I, yeah. The, the the kind of the uh <laughs> what would you call it like the the kind of the metaphor i see that i think that at least that i think is really fascinating is really just the the pathway of accepting something that you are trying not to look at and you know insert whatever thing you want right whether it be trauma or Trauma is probably the best metaphor. I mean, that like, is the human experience. Exactly. In, in so you, you had this, you had a thing that, that hurt you happen. You deny that it happened for your own sake. And then you have to go on this journey to realize that denial is not going to help you. And you or have you to, put, put you it have as, to face it's, it. It's a feeling to face. It's a right. it's a depth of emotion to sit with. Right. And that so that that journey and that arc is really interesting, but I think the the thing that elevates that to to a new level is the idea that you have in in your pursuit of accepting this thing, you now have information that literally elevates your understanding of the world above most other people. And I think it's the scene that they sort of use to to hammer this home is when he gets on the bus and there's a woman crying and she's like, can you help me? And then her head turns into like a bug head. And then everybody's head turns into bug heads. And you could just, you know, you could dismiss this of like, oh, he's just losing it. But then he says, you guys are all in for a big surprise. And it's like he's operating now on this level of like, oh, everybody else is 
in the dark, right? They're just living their little world or living their little lives unknowing to the the broader reality of the universe that now that he is burdened with. And I think that that as a character, like arc, concept, whatever, to watch somebody go through that, whether it's valid or not, like in their, like it's valid to them, right? They believe this. It's a little bit like grandiose, take that for what it's worth. But the whole idea of being the person who now knows a secret that the rest of the world denies or a truth that the rest of the world potentially denies is a really fun place to to watch a character go through because it's like what a what a burden <laughs> and what a transition too like what yeah. an arc yeah yeah uh just uh, just uh, you know i said i loved the um, how stuff was coming up in the relationship for them this kind of conflict just like something specific within that to mention i loved their scene after he freaks out about um he gets scared by the Halloween mask because it's like the, yeah. the mantis mask, like the aliens or whatever. <laughs> like that scene, next, the next scene with his wife where it was basically, she's like, why were you freaking out so much? How could you do this kind of thing? And he admits, he's like, well, I was scared. And she's yeah. kind of like, well, wait, you were scared of a mask? And he's like, convinces her, yes, yeah, that's what it was. That That was really interesting, just as far as like, fighting couple can be frustrating to watch a lot of the times you're like get to the heart of the matter if one of you was just being more honest about how you felt and not attacking the other and it was just an example of that playing out um in a satisfying way yeah i like that I, moment i think you're right i think that that there is a there's a quite a success with the dynamic of that relationship that's it's complex enough I think often you see it a little too simplified where it's like one person in the relationship, you know, has this paradigm shift and the other person is just like, well, fuck you, wow, I'm out. And then that's it. But this really goes back and forth. You know, she has even within a scene, she gets mad and then she sort of comes around and then she sort of listens to him and then she's like shit or vice versa. And and that's – it's compelling – from a, 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 like how you depict a relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it feels more real to me, whether or not it, I mean, it's heightened, but like it feels more like a, a re, an actual relationship and not a movie relationship, which yeah. is great. Good job. Yeah. Another thing grounding all the craziness. Which, yeah. how about some of that craziness now? Now, <laughs> right, let's it's, get it's it. hard because I don't know if this... It's, this is where we get into territory of, like, I don't know if it worked. Or it's a mix of, like, some aspects working and some stuff merely I'm enjoying. But, like, that last scene where he goes to confront them and they basically, they don't probe him, they don't hurt him or anything. They just have a dance party together. Tim, Man. that's... When they, when those little guys started dancing, I'm like, that's where I, knew, I wish I, I was in the room with like Tim. <laughs> I was so, like, that's where I jumped. It, it, I, I jumped out of the movie. I was like, oh no, and that's where that's that's where I wanted to be with you in the same room for just you going like, what the fuck, like just. <laughs> 
But I was. I will I was say, like, come on, guys. Now, hear, now hear me out. I think you're just messing with us. It wasn't just that. It was that it took it to the extent too of like the 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 Whitley and Anne like other versions of them there being dressed up as like a magician in their assistant from the right. 1920s, like their weird <laughs> flapper selves. Like that's where I meant that felt like um uh Ken uh what's the filmmaker I mentioned the devil's Russell. guy, Ken Russell. Yeah. Uh yeah, when we watched um gothic but just pushing something to the nth degree in its weirdness <laughs> where it does take on this like this this weird manic dream kind of essence where you're just like taking it all in and you're like this is just taking a step beyond what the hell like so so just that little bit coming through was working of i think like this kind <laughs> of manic energy of just the, the kind of ecstasy. Because it the point was not to end on like a horror scene, but something that still had some kind of catharsis. So I right. think that was a cool way to do it, is just by sort of unleashing this weird ecstasy energy, you know, as a climax. Um, that was a cool, cool way to go about, well, what is our emotional climax, you know, of the scene? If it's not like we want to turn them into total bad guys kind of thing. Uh but then, like, yeah, then, of course, we'll get into it. What did not work, The which we already said, no big secrets. Just, the effects are so bad. But <laughs> but then, uh, I don't know, some other, like, uh, alien effect scenes that were fun, or the one that w- effect that I thought was really cool, and maybe it's just because, like, what it was was just so, like, it got at the right kind of just weirdness of the whole abduction thing, where sometimes there are objects or things presented that just have this really weird specificity to them that it does feel like, let's say they're tapping into our subconscious and extrapolating something from that, but then there's just something off about it. And that was, you remind me of the robot alien, like Pinocchio guy who like (laughs) float runs into the room that effect looked cool out of all of them. It did Maybe because cool. it was because yeah. it was already a robot, but the way its legs moved were just like s- something surreal and eerie about it. And yeah, just the imagery of that was that right kind of weirdness that felt appropriate to all this abduction stuff. When you just get like, what? Why? What? I I think they came dangerously close in a good way to something truly brilliant, and that is. The, I mean, they basically do it, but I, I, I think they, they didn't quite get there. But let me talk about what the, the thing that worked part of it. The setup of when we realize that these beings maybe are wearing costumes and you, you sort of see like one of the blue guy's heads on a, on a bench, like as if it were a helmet. And you see the the skinny alien, uh, like as uh, their the face is now a mask, and then he has that moment where he uh, he is holding one of the the skinny alien heads, and it like has a you know it's cut in half, and it opens up, and there's this you know gooey, slimy, monstery mouth underneath. That concept, I was like so ready for that to be kind of not the answer but a big cathartic reveal of like oh this whole time everything that they've been showing him 
in and of itself is a facade of the actual horror reality of who these beings are. And right. I, as a way to as, yeah. as a way to like justify the bad effects in a way, it's, like, oh, they actually are just supposed sure. to be costumes. But but just from a concept point of view, I think that is that is so cool of an idea, right? That and I think Fire in the Sky kind of does this, don't they? They have the suits and then the reveal of what the aliens look like underneath the suits is is actually pretty disturbing um in that one. And so that that idea I love. And I was like I mean, granted, I'll talk about w- w- how it turned out, but like the concept by itself, I think is one of the cooler things. Yeah, and that is something again pulled from the actual lore of these uh, right. the, the idea that these classically classic gray aliens those are actually uh, masks of some yep. kind. <laughs> yep. Uh, great, fun, and uh, fun little details thrown in about all that too of like. Oh, there's a smell associated with them. There's a a touch. It fe- they, you know, with the the, mm-hmm. the group scene when it's like, yeah, it feels like a feels like the skin of a frog. Just little details right, like right, that yeah. make you go, oh, I, they're visceral. Yep. Great. Cool. Um. So then, should we get into our next section here? It sounded like. Yeah, I don't really. I mean, yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> here we go. Next section. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? (laughs) All right, well, I mean, I might as well just piggyback on that last thought. Their attempt at a reveal was comically stupid. It's, it's, It's a hand puppet. It's a sock puppet underneath the mask. Like that, I was really upset. I was like, that's that's it? It's, you guys it was aren't weird even trying. It, it, it was writing that line where it's like we saw the bottom half of the face of what was behind the gray alien mask, but not the top half. So Man, they, they needed to find another way to get the idea across, but actually obscure them. And Man, I, t- I tell you what, we've said this before, and and I said it in this episode. The power of watching somebody see something that we don't get to see is, is – we got we to gotta get back to that. It's so good. You don't have to show the monster. You, we, we don't care about the monster in the end in actuality. It's nice if you can do it and do it well. Like Alien does it well. Predator does it well. That's cool. Cool design. Like good job, Stan Winston. But you don't have to. The terror is in – the experience of the character that is going through the thing. And if he were to open up that thing and we were to see it opening from behind so we can watch his face react to it and see the terror of what he's seen, that's way more scary. Especially when you have an actor like him. Like, he is selling yeah, everything on his part. On. Uh, I mean, that this movie, more than any other movie recently, reminded me that all we're doing when we do what did not work for us is just the version of the movie we wish existed. You know, I was just thinking explaining about this what yesterday. That would be. <laughs> yeah, because just imagine, because this is it, is imagine the version of this film where we don't see any of the alien stuff and it's just all obscured. Like, we could still even get him being carried away, like, uh, vaguely by, like, cloaked by cloak mm-hmm. creatures and never seeing their faces 
just maybe seen that. Oh God, this movie would be terrifying if we never saw any of it. Like even down to the hypnosis scene, imagine mm-hmm. him telling that story and just being on Christopher Walken for some epic long take about him experience. Yeah. We would feel it. It would be incredible. And it's a well, shame because that footage exists in the movie. Like they could have done that. Yeah, The Fourth Kind. Have you seen that one? Yeah. That, I, that, yeah. that pretty much is the premise of that movie although there's other stuff in it but like a a large portion of that movie is just us watching people give their testimony you know under hypnosis or whatever and it is in the moments where the people who are you know hypnotized and and recounting their experience watching them flip out is the scariest stuff in that movie it's certainly not the times we see the alien in that movie it's when they're like going ape shit, like flipped out, like, please stay away from me. Don't do that kind of stuff. Like watching somebody uh, f- flip out in a dream state or a hypnotized state is very unsettling. <laughs> like, And when you have a performer like Christopher Walken, what what else are we doing if we're not doing that? Yeah. Come on. It's like as if a certain point they committed to making all these things. <laughs> oh, God, they just look so bad. Like at that end scene, it's just kind of like they're just like they look like balloons just floating yeah. around there. And you're just like, what are we doing? <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I just wonder, yeah, if they just felt like they had to commit at a certain point. And you, I wonder if they even had the idea along the way. What if we just don't show them, but then they're just like, oh, but we can't admit to that now after we put all this money into right. half our budget into making these horrible looking creatures. And then, so, I mean, yeah, effects, exactly. Perfect example of that. But I also got to say too, uh, in my dream alternate version of this movie, just take out the music. Like the music was whatever. <laughs> Dude. Like it was fine. And it was kind of weird how it like, Eric Clapton did, who went to film school with Whitley Schreiber in um, England, or like was oh, some, interesting. Like, okay. they, they they crossed paths or something like that, or he'd hang out there. But anyways, I don't know. Is this one of those movies where it's just like, it was, again, it was cool, it was fine. I don't know. It was fine, and whatever. But just take it out. Just imagine like when Christopher Walken's like scoping out the house with his flashlight, and you just had this 80s guitar music whatever it was going <laughs> just I didn't didn't need it didn't need it it's all right there <laughs> yeah it's pretty bad uh yeah the synth the synth string stuff is weak it just doesn't fit it's i mean it fits in the sense that it's like a time capsule <laughs> yeah but oof it it hinders the the movie a lot i completely agree but it's like, aside from this, those big things, I didn't have anything else, you know? Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, it's sort of more a, a plottingness that the middle, well, from about the middle to the end of the movie, I feel like we're not getting anywhere a lot of the time. We're kind of just going in a circle. Uh, for the second half of the movie. I mean, we do progress slightly, but it doesn't feel... It doesn't feel like it progresses in an effective way to me. Um, 
like it doesn't ramp up, I guess, is is what I mean by that. I mean, I, I think typically what I w- enjoy is getting kind of to the midpoint of a movie and imagining that's the peak of the mountain. And now it's it's all running down the hill and, and you're, you're gaining speed as you as you carry on to this point of either, you know, hitting the bottom of the hill or like all of the whatever i don't know the 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 crags and stuff that you're bouncing off of as you gain momentum so this didn't feel this feel felt more like to keep this severely stupid analogy going it felt more like it plateaued at the at the <laughs> peak <laughs> and then we just kind of plodded along and i just was like and then the ending to me i was just like who cares like it's too it's too irreverent or attempting to be irreverent of them standing there like looking at the helicopter fly away. Mm-hmm. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck you. I don't care. Wow. Like what, fighting what words, we, Tim. What do we get out of this? I was disappointed because I think the setup is so good and we could have gotten something much more exciting. Could I, you here's I, kind of the th- very least, like, I want to see if their whole thing is acceptance of this thing. I, I just, I hate, he- like, hero shot endings like that just seem really like they're jerking themselves off. I, I, it doesn't feel like good storytelling to me. I'm not left with some sort of, you know, oh shit moment, uh, you know, ending. I want I want to be like, oh, like have them go through all of this thing and then have have him look in the face of the alien, see the terror of that and then have the final scene be them just going back to their normal lives and going back to the denial. That to me would be tragic and like much more affecting as an ending. Okay, here's what I got to pose to you, though, because they part of the whole deal with his, you know, he wrote it and I'm sure, you know, was this was important and they wanted to respect that was like, you got to respect what the abductees, quote unquote, you know, what their experience is and not fall into the temptation of just changing that to make a better movie in a movie terms. And I think that means checking off like you can't turn them into outright bad guys. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't turn them into outright monsters at the end. And you do have to show at the end some kind of, you know, either, um, I guess, yeah, since it was him, right? It's some kind of, you know, a positive arc where he's coming out as being more accepting or open to the situation or whatever. So Fine. could you still hit those? And Yes. Okay. Here, here's, I think, a way to do that. Let me see if I can gather this well. Um, okay, so the character of Whitley and his family to uh, by extension, I guess, they are they have come to terms with this new paradigm shift, this new knowledge. They know a truth about the world, and that has shifted how they exist and and view the world in, I would say, a, an extraordinarily profound way. But the rest of the world does not agree. And so we need to see them 
in relation to the rest of the world. And here's how you do it. Just simplify it down into one interaction. We see him come to terms with all of this. We see him go through this cathartic experience. We see him and his family go, holy shit, now we know. But they have to still live in the real world. So the final scene to me should be more like something of them having to go through the the paces of day-to-day life again with the burden of this knowledge and have somebody flippantly, you know, have him going and getting coffee at a, you know, the local bodega or whatever in New York City and have somebody pick up a national inquirer and be like bat boy and oh, you know, Elvis got abducted or whatever and have them flippantly remark about that and all we need to see is a reverse shot of Christopher Walken looking at them like with his Christopher Walken face. <laughs> and we go, oh shit. That's right. He has to live in this world where everybody else is in the dark. He has this knowledge now. Rather than this irreverent, oh, look at me, like posing. Okay, so it was really that end, end, ending on the roof that's bugging you so much. He, oh, yeah. Got it. Got it. Got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He has to live in the world. And this is a real human being. Whitley is a real person who had to then cope with what he believes his experience was. And I mean, I think that's a really important aspect to anybody who has an experience that flies in the face of what the the general public wants to believe. They're going they're going to be detractors. Let's see how that affects him in the moments in the first moments after having this revelation. In in a very human way, let's see it. Cuz the this ending is like well, we're us three family, we're now the superheroes of our knowledge. It's so funny, like, my, I, you're right, I can't say the ending at all worked for me. I think I was just so just, like, whatever towards it. I was, <laughs> it was like, I, it wasn't even happening in front of me. It was like the movie had already ended, I think, you yeah. know, for me yeah. at that point. Yeah. Great. Well, I'm sure we'll have some things of note for this one. So you ready for sure. that? All right, here we go. Things of note. This should be interesting. It was funny. Uh, I was reading a recent interview with, you know, just from a couple of years ago with Whitley. And, uh, he, he, you know, when he asked him about this film, he's like, yeah, I thought uh, Christopher Walken portrayed me as more of an asshole than I would have liked. And then it was great. He said, <laughs> Dan Aykroyd wanted to play me and he would have been perfect. And... <laughs> Just Dan, Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd is like, if you don't know, he's super into this stuff. Oh, so I mean, he yeah. is. <laughs> okay, there is know. an incredible interview with him that just gives you like just the right amount of of flavor of of who Dan Aykroyd actually is. It's on uh, last podcast on the left, and Henry Zabrowski, who's one of the hosts of that show, is a humongous like. ufologist ufologist however you say it MUFON like he's a member of MUFON like he's a card carrying member he loves alien stuff and paranormal stuff but alien stuff in particular and they got Dan Aykroyd on that show 
And it was it is hilarious and incredible to listen to because I think a lot of us have this idea of Dan Aykroyd that is we we have no idea of him as a real person. We only see his persona as, a, as in the movies or TV, but mostly movies. That person is is like a half a percent of the true person that Dan Aykroyd is in particular in this realm. Like he starts in this interview, he's talking about his family having like generational connection to the paranormal. Like it's so incredible. <laughs> so, I mean, I sh- like I already have recommended uh, last podcast on the left, but like definitely go listen to that episode. So, yes, I uh, agree that he would be perfect for for that role. Right. And a little more like he's not as um acerbic as Christopher Walken. Mm-hmm. You know, he mm-hmm. has a less biting nature to him. So maybe that's what Whitley was tuning into. And also from this interview, I just wanted to mention, uh, this was fun, where he he says, you know, this implant in my ear. And the interviewer is like, what? I'm sorry, an implant in your ear? So what this was, this is, again, just just him talking about it. Um, Yeah. He says that it was in 89 when like in the middle of the night, some people invaded his house in New York and put this thing in his ear, which... He says conveniently they were he doesn't know if they were like he says he doesn't know if they were like aliens in disguise or government people or what. But he says that of course <laughs> conveniently there wasn't a scar or anything, but that for years his ear would turn bright red uh occasionally and he knew it was doing something. Um but then he said he finally went in. This is uh, this is where you just want to like then track down this doctor, but he said he went in to get it removed. And, like, when they, the doctor was making the incision, the implant, like, moved down into, like, its earlobe. Like, it was avoid, you know, it was avoiding it somehow. But he said the doctor's scalpel, uh, he was able to chop off a corner of it and got it analyzed. And he said that uh, the analyzation said it had a metallic base with motile proteinaceous cilia attached to it. In other words, it was a biomechanical device of some kind. How convenient that it got away, but it didn't entirely. Is that and that's that's a perfect metaphor. Exactly what all this stuff is. It's like we got a piece of it, you know, and it said this, but uh, but you get that's the kind of anecdote where you either have to say to yourself, um, he is lying about this here and now, and there's no doctor who found the piece, or it's that there was a little piece of metal in his in his lobe for some reason that they were able to get out. And that's just, it's one of those fun examples. This, but <laughs> I don't want to get down the rabbit hole. This, this is the methodology of grifters. I mean, that's just what you No, do. and that's, that, but that's what I'm saying. It's either that or, you know, like there was a, just talking about if there was a piece or not of I, something yeah, in there. No, you know? I get you. It just, it's so hard for me to get on board with this dude. Cause like he, he's, He's operating whether or not he, he believes what he's doing or it actually happened. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is his methodology and how he tells stories and his inconsistency in, in other realms are – they are from the playbook of 
how to manipulate and like be a charlatan and grift people. You give them you give them just enough possible truth and just enough mystery so that people jump in and like go. It's yeah, it's but just, if he's but maybe, a grifter, he said, maybe maybe. He's the worst grifter of all time because he decided to completely flatline his successful writing career to ostracize himself from the Hollywood and successful community. Well, so it's like, you know, I don't, lot, I don't get what. <laughs> well, well, hang on a second. You know how many people are sabotage, like are self sabotaging because of their own issues, like. Most. I'm, I'm most saying that people. that is what it would be. Yeah. Which just yeah. like. It's but way I, more common to be a self-sabotage person than to be successful. Way more common. So. Yeah. I don't know. My biggest issue with him and like granted, I, it's not my biggest issue, but here's a anecdote that that leads me to sort of my broader sense of him. So. For years and years and years, he claimed that he was a witness to the the Texas shooting in Austin, the Texas University of Texas. Um, this is like the one of the f- sort of the first big publicized um, mass shootings in the U.S. And he, for years, wrote about, talked about in interviews, all the shit that he was physically there. He even wrote about his experience of being there saying that like, you know, he's walking in one direction when he heard the first shot and everybody thought the shots were coming from the other direction. But he knew it was coming from the tower because he just like inferred it naturally. And then he turned around and he watched a little kid on a bicycle get his head blown off. It's bullshit. And he has admitted that it's bullshit. But he carried that lie around or perpetuated that lie for years and years and years. And I'm sorry, but like. All credibility goes out the window when, once you've done something like that. Like, he's just a bullshitter. At least in this instance, he's a bullshitter. And that's, I mean, that's so fucked up to me. To be like, for his own kind of grandiose, vain reasons, he decided to perpetuate a lie about being at a place during an incredibly tragic moment in history just because it, like, helped him and his narrative about himself as a as a writer or a person or whatever. I'm sorry, man, but I'm out. Fuck you. It it just it, and I'm not even saying that his actual experiences with the with what this movie is based on are delegitimized by this, but I cannot buy into anything he says now because he's he's compromised by this behavior. And I think that's, it's, you know, kind of like what you're saying. That's sabotage, man. He sabotaged himself. So that, to me, it now it smells more like a pathology than anything. Like, this is a person who actually kind of like the character. I mean, the character kind of does this. He's, he is actively undercutting his own ability and skill and success. So it, it makes it so much more likely in my mind that this is pathological and not real. Sorry. <laughs> so, 
So, I mean, do you do you assign that to his wife too, who and that like he was lying to her about like faking getting beat up in the middle of the night and stuff like that? No, you know what? It, if I if I were to try and sort of apply Occam's razor sort of mentality to this, she's enmeshed with him as a, a couple. They they have enmeshment, and I think it's more likely that a lot of the experiences that they're recounting happened in in some form like and they are then coming up with a a narrative justification for it together as an enmeshed couple so like he yeah they, they probably did have fights and they probably did get out of control and you know stuff like that especially if you're dealing with somebody who you know and not, i'm not trying to criticize this aspect if if he if he is suffering from any sort of mental illness stuff that is is the foundation of some of these things like that's that's a hard thing to deal with and it and it but you know if that's the case it it makes it actually makes it make more sense to me in a lot of ways I mean, yeah, I think um, everything he has you, the outlook that he does. I think everything you say makes it like, yeah, that's fair for it to sow doubt. But I think just to make your whole like your argument more convincing, you have to also include fully whatever, you know, the flip side is into part yeah. of your argument. Well, Otherwise, that's what I'm saying. Like, just, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to deny that. At the very least, I'm not going to die that deny that his his belief is valid. Because right? I, I mean, for me, it's just like I'm like I think people like they can lie all the time. So what? If, so chances are, someone who would go through this, you know, also has some. If someone else were to go through this, chances are they might have some other like lie in their life kind of thing. So they just. I don't know. I think people are more complicated than just being like liar, character trait. Eh. Like I just don't I don't know. I don't operate that way. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, that's that's a reduction of what I'm saying. But this guy's whole career is predicated on storytelling. It's right, yeah. Right? And he has a penchant for undercutting his own success so i'm adding up a bunch of different factors that point at pathological behavior i'm not just saying oh he said this i did i mean granted i i started this by sort of saying he said this one thing that turned out to be bullshit and that is disqualifying for him but it's it's the tip of the iceberg to me of a bigger broader sort of pathological set of behaviors which, which, so you're you're tying to he's in his, as far as yeah, character flaw, his attempt to make himself more successful because he is flawed in this way. He just, of course, didn't have the the foresight to see how it was only going to hurt his career. Yeah, yeah, I think I that's think, a, po- a very possible possibility. <laughs> <laughs> I think would yeah. You have someone who's as as good as a writer as he is, you know, just in the reviews I've read, what his books have all, you know, been before this. It gives them a certain amount of like, 
I don't know. It, it does give them more credibility to me as just far as like, oh, they're, they're an, they're, I don't know. They're, they're a person. I don't know. And I know that's not, yeah, I know but that's come not on. Don't, like you can't, mis- you can't, you can't mistake talent for stability. Right. No, yeah, no, no. But <laughs> right. as far as like, um, I'm trying to say like, he's, Someone who only up to that point did build their career on talent to then all of a sudden decide I'm going to, I don't know. I don't think it's a momentary decision. I think that shit just catches up with everybody. You know, the grifters, the grifter is, is for all intents and purposes, a successful businessman until he's found out, you know, but he's been grifting the whole time. It's not like. You mean you, like you know what I mean? Like his, you mean his career before this? Communion? I'm saying just in in the in the abstract. A gen, if you generalize, like you take the the take Donald Trump, right? Like Donald Trump, it, 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 for all intents and purposes, until he got gets caught being, a, you know, a criminal, he's uh, ostensibly a wealthy, successful businessman, but but. That's, you know, that's only true because we don't know the full truth, right? So, like, just because Whitley, like, was a good writer and successful doesn't mean that he wasn't a bullshitter all along. He's just a good bullshitter. We bought the bullshit. What was I mean, I'm not saying that pre-communion. that's the truth. Right. And then this, and then he... <laughs> caught up with him potentially that's i mean you, you mean that the texas lie like like what what's his bullshit before communion you're referring to well that he has always been pathologically flawed but he had because of i mean because of having written things that that people that people wanted to read and being a good writer we somehow then apply you know we we apply an idea of him as being stable and you know we're 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 conflating stability with success those things are not you know it may no it, it may have sounded like it may have sounded like i was doing that but i'm just i just come down on like i'm not going to form any opinion at all if i think i would never call him a grifter until i read everything that he has had to I've read everything he's written and read everything about him and talked to people who have met him. You know, it's just, yeah, let me rephrase because I think I said this at the top. I don't know if he's a grifter. He smells like a grifter to me. That's what I'm saying. All of the information I've had, it gives me the whiff of griff. (laughs) Great. Uh, Then, then all I'm saying is I wouldn't, purport to smell him one way or the other until i've done <laughs> all this okay well if it's if it quacks like a duck that's all i'm saying uh i it mean could do be you a have goose. Any... i don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh i mean yeah i didn't have anything i i have my books here from my friend preston dennett who uh was the uh, a prolific UFO abduction writer who cool. I was interviewing for all for everything I was writing and he read what I wrote. Um 
We've already been going for a while, but if you're, would you be curious to hear just as like a fun demarcation point? Please. He has a whole, so he has a, I don't even said what it is yet. So one of his books care. I have here Sounds is, cool. you, he has like all these UFOs right here. I have like Coronado Island UFO incident, UFOs over California. I think he has like UFOs over Topanga Canyon. This is UFOs over New York. And then there's a chapter on celebrity encounters, which I thought mm. that's that's why that's a fun kind of, you know, point, uh, um, some kind of whatever point, reference point. So Jimi Hendrix, but I thought there's the famous one, John Lennon, just if you haven't heard it in detail, could be fun to hear since we're all fans. All right, since we're all fans here, this is about a page bear with me. Here's John Lennon's story. Um, so at the time... August 23rd, 1974, Lennon had separated from Yoko Ono and was in a relationship with his assistant, May Pang. Lennon stepped out onto the balcony of his 53rd Street penthouse apartment in Manhattan. Suddenly, a classically shaped metallic flying saucer appeared over the East River. Lennon began screaming at Pang to come immediately out on the balcony and look. At first, she ignored him, but finally relented and went outside. Says Peng, as I walked out onto the terrace, my eye caught this large circular object coming towards us. It was shaped like a flattened cone, and was and on top was a large, brilliant red light, not pulsating as any of the aircraft we'd seen heading for a landing at New Newark Airport. To their amazement, the strange craft approached to within a few hundred feet. It was easily the size of a jet, but was totally silent, says Peng. When it came a little closer, we could, uh, we could make out a row or circle of white lights that ran around the entire rim of the craft. There was, there, these were also flashing on and off. There were so many of these lights that it was dazzling to the mind. Incredibly, the object scooted directly overhead, says Pang. John estimated its size as about as large as a two-man Learjet. There was no noise, not a sound coming from it. The saucer then scooted away and disappeared from view. A few minutes later, however, the UFO was back. Lennon and Pang grabbed their telescope and observed the object. They grabbed their camera and snapped a couple of photographs, but they came out overexposed. <laughs> Afterwards, they called the newspaper and the police. Both the newspaper and the police said that numerous other people had called in to report the object. According to Pang, Lennon was deeply affected by the sighting. He kept saying, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I've seen a flying saucer, says Pang. John, oh, John always had an interest in UFOs. He even used to subscribe to a British UFO magazine, The Flying Saucer Review. But after seeing what we saw that night, he became even more fanatical, bringing up the subject all the time. He told her that he would like to be taken up inside of one. While Lennon was never interviewed about his sighting, he did write about it in his song Strange Days Indeed, writes Lennon. There's UFOs over New York, and I ain't too surprised. Nobody told me there'd be days like these, strange days indeed. Most peculiar, mama. If you know the song, it's a good song. Uh, Twelve <laughs> years later, on a summer evening in 1986, Pang had another sighting while driving with a friend on 8th Avenue in downtown Manhattan. Says Pang, I saw something in the distance as we got close. Closer, I saw this thing hovering. They pulled off the road near the tavern on the green restaurant. At the same time, another car stopped. Pang asked them what they thought the object was. They said, a blimp. They all got out of their cars and looked at it. Pang asked them if they still thought it was a blimp. According to Pang, they looked confused, hopped back in their car, and sped away. Pang and her friend continued to watch the object that appeared to be, quote, in the shape of a flat iron with many white lights outline, lights outlines the shape. There was no sound. After a few minutes, the object quickly rose straight upwards very fast and disappeared into the distance. Cool. 
I don't know. I think I still fall in this camp of like, I think humans are unreliable witnesses, but I think that they, they are seeing something, but there's a huge problem with confirmation bias, right? Like if you were obsessed with UFOs and flying saucers your whole childhood and you see a thing in the sky, you're, you're kind of too primed to, uh, to, con- to uh, what am I trying to say? To, to see it through that lens. And then, and, the, and I'm not saying what you're seeing isn't there. I'm saying that it, it, in, it, it, it messes up your ability to view the thing objectively. So, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm not criticizing anything. I'm just saying that that is a reality that makes it difficult to know what is actually going on in any given circumstance. That's Granted, why I like the comp- if when you have uh, corroboration, that's important. So yeah. multiple people seeing it, multiple people seeing the same thing, multiple people unconnected to each other having the same description of the thing like that's important stuff then you can start to get down to like okay well what the hell right it's just yeah for me that line of like if it's lights in the sky that's like confirmation bias comes in but when it's like there is a silent thing that looks like a classical ufo like that's like there it's not like it's not anything else you know uh those Uh, are the cases that are so interesting well just to play devil's advocate you know you see a shark fin in the water in jaws that's there everybody's seen it until they pull the kid wearing a shark fin out of the water those are different how one you uh imagine if sharks didn't imagine if you're underwater seeing the shark like no no, ufo doesn't have a fin that exposes part of itself. You're missing the point. The perception of what you're seeing is skewed by the observer's brain and what they th- are primed to think they're seeing based on the environment. Right. I'm just saying you. I get. I understand the concept why of that. Why couldn't it? Why couldn't it be that this thing that everybody saw was some sort of balloon? you know, that was constructed to look like that by somebody as a prank. Like I, I, I think that that's just as likely, if not more likely having that we live on planet earth, than an actual alien craft. I just think it's more compelling when it's <laughs> like any, any case where it's the, the less you're able to, the less you're able to doubt like what it is as far as like the less obscure something is, the more senses that are receiving it, the more, you know, it's, just, it's, those are, those are what's this fun. That's, they're more compelling. I agree. I agree. It's fun. I'm just positing sort of another way of looking at it that keeps me from buying in. See, for me, it's like, it's 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 no matter buying it like 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 that is something of course yeah confirmation bias it could just be able it's like well duh like so I don't know it's that's too dismissive you can't just say well duh I could say yeah. well that's that your 
buying into this shit and that's dumb and obviously there's a rational explanation. But I'm not going to do that because that's a shitty way of looking at it. You can't tell somebody else that their way of looking at it is – you can't dismiss it wholesale. I think that's that's flawed. And I think so it's you just, get it into feels, this – it's very gray. Yeah. It, well, it just feels like there's assumption being made about me that I reject where it's like to, to be told, yeah, but it's more likely it's, – it's just as likely if not more that it's this. And I'm like, yeah. I don't, I don't know that just because I have a certain enthusiasm or openness that all of a sudden it means like I don't well, know that I'm not. That, you're taking that on as a personal attack. I'm just positing the the many factors that go into com- confirming eyewitness accounts. That right. it's not. I'm, it's it's <laughs> not. You, you need a lot of information and humans are woefully uh, unreliable. (laughs) Right. I agree. I just think we live in a world where the, I I don't know, maybe, maybe it's not maybe because yeah, we do. We also live in a world where, you know, it's dangerous people being susceptible to certain things that aren't true and whatever, whatever. But I think more than not, or the, the sort of go- ongoing, you know, group psychological issues with the world are more about a non-openness versus an openness kind of thing. And just, so just as a, to, to just be able to like shift our consciousness more to like, well, of course it can be explained away with, you know, it's being, it's something else, confirmation bias or whatever, whatever. Um, I don't know. It's just... I, I just don't relate to that attitude. I'm sorry. You're allowed to not. I just don't see how it's <laughs> helpful when it's something that doesn't isn't harmful. You know. Ah, well, I think that's a totally different question. The, like how you measure what is and isn't harmful in this realm. Because I think mm. you could make the argument that some of this stuff is incredibly harmful to certain people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean like someone who becomes obsessive or? Sure. I mean, any, yeah, like in a really extreme way of of putting it, like let's say that somebody is an addict, a drug addict, you, you know, you run the risk of sort of being like, here's some more cocaine. But, you know, that's a that's a super, super simple, simplistic way of looking at it. But. Right. Susceptible brain. You know. You you can take it can be a susceptible brain can be taken advantage of and harmed very easily. It's like why cults exist. You know what I mean? So, like, I think it's it's touchy. You got to be careful. Mm hmm. And that's like we've talked about this skepticism, the, how we define skepticism. That's that's really where I'm coming from. True skepticism meaning right down the middle, not being on the side of of either and trying to be as neutrally, you know, uh, data-based, I guess, <laughs> as possible and considering circumstance and all sorts of other things, so. That's where I'm trying to come from. It's not a t- an attack. Right. And I'm always pushing back on the, what 
the way that people do use the word skeptic that I feel like is the general where the world is at. So maybe that's Often, another way. Yeah, to- they, they make it this binary thing rather than an open thing. That's the exact energy that I'm talking about. I think there's too much of and I want to mm-hmm. push back on. And yeah. I think a part of that is just trying to make people like, <laughs> yeah, to disassociate that it's so binary is just like, it's okay. Being open, it's 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 fun. It's cool. It's not like it's you you aren't automatically being assigned crazy. Like that's mm-hmm. and that's what I think people are so sensitive to that I want to encourage yeah. the opposite yeah. of. Cool. Well, what's yeah. next? <laughs> I mean, I don't have anything else for <laughs> communion. <laughs> Me neither. Um, do you have a recommendation? Always. Been watching all sorts of great stuff, but uh, not that it's anything rare or 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 uh, yeah, you may not have seen before. But just because I watched it for the first time in forever, and it was just like one of those like new five star movie for me. You know, watching it this time around, experiences was watching David Lynch's second feature film, The Elephant Man. Like, oh, yeah. you know, I like love stories about kind of outsiders of society, just kind of, and all the all conflict and tension around there. Uh, it just, I, I can't think of like a movie that made me more emotional almost like ever. Like just what the story is, it just hit me so, so hard. And it's just quote-unquote Lynchian enough to get his, I don't know, it, where his direction really works for it, but then the the two centerpiece performances of John Hurt and Anthony Hopkins are just so good. I Yeah, just the story is really, really hit me. So just, it's been a while, or if you haven't seen it, please check out The Elephant Man. Don't overlook it. Hmm. I've seen it a long time ago. Uh, I feel like I should recommend dead a alien abduction movie but now i think there's not a lot out there (laughs) there aren't i think what what a really good one is which is why Um, i want to make one because it's like all of them have had good it's like there's an aspect always of each that is good Mm -hmm. you know so just Hmm. do all the aspects that are Man, it's a tough one. I feel like Life Force is supposed to be good, but I don't think I've ever That's seen it. That's not one of those. That's not like in this vein, though. It's great, but it's no, no it, it's like a B movie. Like it's Toby Hooper. It's like an, you know, yeah. alien woman predator comes down and like seduces <laughs> yeah, yeah, men. Yeah. It's like a monster movie. It's not like an alien abduction movie. Sure. Hmm. 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 Man, I don't know. I. I personally, you know, I watched this movie. It's not great, <laughs> but I enjoyed it. There's a couple of them because it's based on the Phoenix Light. The Phoenix Lights, you know about the Phoenix Lights? Oh, yeah. It's this big incident, right? So there's a couple movies and I, damn, I'm not, I don't remember which is which. <laughs> there's one called The Phoenix Incident. And I'm going to hope that that's the right one. The one that I thought was the better of the two that I've seen. I think I've seen two. So I'm going to recommend Dead That on a on a. It's a bit of a. <laughs> uh, a, a I'm swinging, but because I can't remember if that's the right one. Because <laughs> one's called like the Phoenix Lights, 
One's called the Phoenix Incident. Let's go with the Phoenix Incident. Hope for the best. At least you'll have a good time. Even (laughs) if it's bad. (laughs) Great. Great, great, great. Well, uh, let's figure out what we're watching next week. Oh, yeah. It's your turn. Great. Are you ready? Should I use my left hand so it's even more unnatural? Sure. And stop. Here we go. Here we go. You can read that. Can you read that? Full circle, a.k.a. The Haunting of Julia from 1977. Yes, a seventies movie. <laughs> like Tim, Tim's going. Yes, I've always wanted to see Full Circle, aka The Haunting of Julia. <laughs> Boy, have I! Um, I've never heard of this. I, I, I added, oh, with Kier Delea, whatever you say his name from two thousand one, and Mia Farrow. Ooh, supernatural! I just went to fullcircle.com. Uh, it's not about the movie. You go to fullcircle.com. <laughs> That's what came up. <laughs> Ooh, I like great. the poster. Cool. Me too. That's cool. Great, great. Uh, well, 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 well. Hey, everyone. Thanks for being here. This is a, a, a something that's a topic that's endlessly fascinating. Fascinating, and uh, we're so glad to watch a movie finally that related to it all. With Christopher walking along the way, of course. Oh, bless you. Sorry, my cat just sneezed. Startled me. Um, (laughs) So whether you're alone with a cat sneezing, whether you uh, are open, not open to all this, we thank you for being here. That's right. We will see you next time. Goodbye. Ha, 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 ha,